Are you still sure of those signs, Paul? What's the other one we ought to be after now? Oh, come on, bother the signs, said Paul. Something about someone mentioning Aslan's name, I think. But I'm jolly well not going to give a recitation here. Welcome to the Chronicles of Podcast, where we are doing a chapter-by-chapter deep dive into the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. I'm Kel. I'm Chase. And thank you so much for joining us. Just a reminder that today we are talking about the sixth book in the series, The Silver Chair. But just a general spoiler warning, we're probably going to talk about the whole Narnia series as well. As a heads up that we will go on to tangents into other stories and you know things that we enjoy. We'll do our best to give spoiler warnings along the way if there's anything too far out there. But today, we're discussing The Silver Chair, Chapter 7, The Hill of Strange Trenches, otherwise known as Another Walking Chapter. C.S. Lewis loves going on walks. He's like, look, it's been a minute. It's been at least a few chapters, maybe a book. I don't know. I'll lose count sometimes. Yeah, C.S. Lewis, more often than not, is thinking to himself, have I described the scenery here yet, though? Do they know how snowy it is? I I wonder if the children reading this book have ever felt, have ever imagined the sensation of snow blowing in their face. Let me tell them about it. Indeed. Chase, can you tell us about it now in the summary? Well, that was the whole summary. That was everything that happened. <laughs> oh, good. All right. Sweet. Well, I think we're good to move on to the next chapter, right? Okay. We'll see you next week. Next um, week. All right. But yeah, I would love to give a summary, uh, joking aside. So it was a beast of a day. Frigid cold and icy wind against them as they trekked across a ruined giant road with massive gaps and boulders breaking it up. Then the snow came, covering the ground and making it really hard to see. They reached the foot of the hill that separated them from the place that, with the lighted windows, uh, and they scrambled up the four ledges that led up to the flat top of it. The wind tore across the open space, throwing snow up in their faces unrelentingly. To make matters worse, the surface was broken up in odd ways, with banks that they had to climb over and fall down into the wet snow. As Jill fought her way across, she caught glimpses of odd things that looked like old chimneys or a cliff that was too straight-edged to make sense. But all that she could think of were her cold hands and the promise of a hot bath at Harfang. Then suddenly, Jill fell down into a trench. Scrub and Puddle Glum looked down to make sure she was okay, and when she said the trench seemed to go aways and guarded from the wind, Scrub went down to join her and see where it went. They explored a bit to no end, and then Puddle Glum pulled them out. The Marsh Wiggle then asked her, What were those signs again we were supposed to be looking for? Which one are we supposed to be on by now? But she blew him off saying it's not important. Uh, This wasn't the time for a recitation and the cold and the wind. But the truth was she hadn't been reciting them every night like she was supposed to. And she was just as annoyed with herself for not keeping up with them as she was with Puddle Glum for asking about it. Uh, He asked again, though, saying he thought they should have a closer look at this plateau they're standing on. Uh, There's something odd about it. But Eustace and Jill ignored him and shouted out they could see the line of lights again in the distance. Puddle Glum continued talking, and they continued to not listen, and they walked the long rest of the way across the plateau to Harfang. It was more of a large house than a castle, since the gentle giants don't really worry about attacks. And on the whole, the same the place seemed pretty friendly, with windows and doors, and made it appear less foreboding. Uh, 
it stood atop a large crag and uh, though there was a path that rose up around it to the gate, it was still a hard climb. Jill almost gave up. Once they got to the gate, they were nervous because, I mean, it's knocking on a giant's front door. It's a pretty scary thing. And But despite his misgivings about Harfing, Puddleglum told them they better keep on steady and not look frightened since it was a pretty silly decision to come here in the first place. But now that we're here, we should put a bold face on it. So he strode forward and knocked. And the porter opened the door and asked what kind of creatures they were, very surprised to have visitors. Uh, Jill said the lady of the green kirtle salutes the king of the gentle giants and sent these two southern children in a marsh wiggle for the autumn feast. A perfectly good, normal, smart thing to say. At this, the giant welcomed them in and offered them lodging and a warm fire since they were pretty blue from the cold. Uh, the porter who greeted them passed on what they said to the, a younger giant who was just scoffed and was like, okay, uh, and took word to the king. Then he offered Puddleglum a very large drink to cheer him up. Puddleglum drank the entire thing and was soon after saying some less coherent ramblings. Then the younger giant returned and said they'd be taken to the throne room at once. Puddleglum had to be carried since he was a little drunk at that point, and they were led into a room with more giants than they'd ever seen, dressed in fancy robes, and at the end of the row sat two huge shapes that must have been the king and queen. They stopped about 20 feet from the throne, attempted a bow, Puddleglum was sat down next to them on the floor, and the chapter ends there, because why would why would anything happen, Kel? Why would anything happen this chapter? Why not combine chapters, C.S. Lewis? Just, I just don't understand, Chase. Yeah, this, the whole, like, walking through the snow, falling into, like, that could have been, like, a page. Like, you could have covered this entire chapter in two pages, and then had the rest of this, (laughs) this adventure in the house happen. Right. Let this be the house of the Harfang, or, like, the, the giants, or whatever. You know, like, we don't need, we don't need the rest of this. You need to understand that you walked past some trenches that were peculiar and that you ignored them and you went to the house of the giants. That's it. You see those snowbanks, Kel? They looked very odd, even though we're going to ignore them for right now. Right. It's So all this to say, once we start our discussion, James, I have a feeling we're just, we're blazing through a lot of this because as we've discussed before, C.S. Lewis likes himself a great narrative description of snow and walking. Yeah. C.S. Lewis, who loved going on walks, and I get it. I like going on walks. I like a hike. It's it's raining outside right now, so probably not today, but I, I get the desire to go on one. I usually don't go home and tell people about every single thing I saw on that hike, though. No. That's not interesting. <laughs> No one wants to hear about trees and dirt and wind and sun. That's uh, bad time. It's one of the things where it's like the first page, like full page, is nothing but them walking and describing like, well, it was cold. And then 20 minutes later, it was still cold. And then it was snowing. And mind you, because it was snowing, they couldn't see or hear each other. So they didn't talk. That's a description why there's no dialogue here and why there's nothing being moved forward. Nothing happens until they make their way to some very strange ledges that are clearly cut 
that they're not just they're you know more like steps or like grooves you mean mountains don't grow in right angles kel you mean they don't just naturally have stairs no i do not mean that chase uh and so uh, like a lot of this yeah. chapter they need the expedition unknown guy to come out there with some lasers to to scan the landscape and show them a map from above absolutely solved all their problems yeah it was like it, it's the whole point of this is basically to get them like through the snow they're not seeing things clearly they're not they're not you know picking up on on the stuff around them and that they've because they've forgotten the signs and they're not paying attention to them, they're not looking for what they're supposed to be looking for because eventually Jill is going to fall into a trench, what she presumes to be, again, a very naturally square-cut angles trench. Definitely not just like something cut into the rock. It's like someone spelling something, perhaps. I mean... I will give that what it actually is, is not a normal thing that makes sense to people who would be looking for something different. But before they even look for that sign, the sign of like writing, they're looking for a ruined giant city. Right. And that's what's crazy to me of like, they are not, paying attention to the sign before the one that they're standing in. They're literally walking through the ruined giant city. Like, yeah. Well, and they've been walking through giant territory on a right. ruined giant road over a ruined giant bridge. Yeah. And then they come to this unnatural place with, Oh, that over there looks like a chimney. I wonder what, where we are right now. No, no matter. We'll keep going. Oh, like, these things feel like stairs and steps. Mm, ignore them. You mean ruins don't look like currently occupied built cities? It's it's, it's wild. Not in the and, name? and and here's the thing: like the whole point of this could be communicated again, like we've said in a brief summary of this. Going, they were walking through, but because they had forgotten and they had not been paying attention, you know, like. Otherwise, because most of this is just description of snow. It's not description of, oh, man, like, here's this building. And, you know, they they just ignored it or whatever. Because the third sign, you know, I know it's been a while. The third sign is you shall find the writing on a stone in that ruined city. And you must do what the writing tells you. So they're literally in the city right now. And they like what happens is Jill falls into the writing on the stone uh, but they're not paying attention, even though Puddle Glum definitely is, right? They make sure that she's okay, and then they d- they just decide, hey, let's explore this. Let's find out what's going on, which is a bold move, because what if this was a maze, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's it's honestly insane. Which, like, but, I don't know, I kind of wish, rather than, like, we only get one mention in the actual snowy scenes of the thing that consumed a lot of last chapter, which yeah. was them obsessing over this idea of harfang and right the idea of warm baths and food and like like being out of the elements that like if this had mi- been mixed in more with like some internal 
dialogue or some conversation between them of like them losing the plot and like deciding to pursue like harfing over their actual mission like that would be a more interesting character development chapter yeah but instead it's snow it's snowing it's, it's just that's snow. Not chapter it's snowing snow way chase <laughs> snow way but they yeah it, there's a lot that could have been done here but also like the combination of like the desire for harfang and getting to harfang and ignoring everything else could have been all in one like this could all be last chapter this could have been the end of last chapter being like they were so you know intent upon getting to harfang that they marched through and ignored everything around them and like you could have the beginning of or like the end of that chapter be they get to the doors you know yeah. uh, of harfang like they they've made their way through the trench they've ignored what it was they ignored the ruins and they found themselves knocking on giant doors and then the whole next chapter is them in the house trying to avoid being eaten by giants yeah i feel like our biggest most frequent complaint as we've gone through all of these books has been pacing yeah it's, it's always like man if cs lewis had just like made the major things major and the minor things minor these would be great stories. I mean, they are great. Oh, stories. They are great stories. We're, just, we're reading them too slow for our own good. But right. and and my it's funny we have for my my son Judah we have a kids version of Chronicles of Narnia that we read him. You know, he's a baby, obviously, but he, he doesn't really understand it yet. But it's funny because the pacing in this children's book is almost so it's so much better because it's like. Here's because the amazing point. Because went to, went like, through and read. Because it's like, you know, 10 pages or whatever. It's like, you know, page one. There once were four children. Those children went to a house with their uncle. They got, like, one day they were playing hide and seek. And their sister got lost in a, in a wardrobe that took her to a magical place called Narnia, where she met a fawn named Tumnus. They avoid the Tumnus was a kidnapper part. And just, tell like, it's like they make him, like, the like a reluctant, you know, like just civilian where it's like he, like Tumnus tells her about like that it's been, you know, really sad. It's been winter forever with no Christmas. She comes back and tells her siblings, but they don't believe her. One, And then the next day, like her brother and her go with her. And it's like, it's very boom, boom, boom. Yeah. And I'm like, man. It's, it's the DLDR version. <laughs> yeah, where it's like, for me, spend more time with the Giants because what I have a fear of now because I know the next chapter is dealing with the Giants and I know that they're like I, I have a I have a fear I don't know how long I have not read ahead Same. I have a fear that it's going to all the action is going to go too fast or that like because I mean we're already almost halfway through like at a certain point we have to get we have to go under the mountain we have to uh, discover different peoples and we eventually have to get to the green witch snake and the lost prince. At and what point do we find a Balrog in the mines of Moria? I believe you have to sing to the stone first. Ah, uh, and that's more like a like operatic concert singing, right? Yeah, it's it's you know, 
you know how like you try to find like the like natural vibration of any object through just like pitch like yes. you know i, I do yeah. do that in every room i go into is i try to find the natural vibration of the room this is really fun at a party it takes about five to ten minutes and people look at me pretty funny but they, i i do people go to a different room. room but you know it is what it is but yeah all this to say i like pacing has definitely been the big because like the story is so good but he spends too much time on the things he shouldn't and not enough time on the things he should like it this almost is the sounds difference. like the characters in his book Ooh, boom <laughs> uh maybe maybe you should pay attention to more characters but all this to say jill is making her way through and eustace gets intrigued as well so he jumps into the trench with her which again bold move but whatever uh and they try to run around, but realize that it's a dead end on either side of something. Uh, there's, it's just one single trench, you know, that has turns and corners. So they both get out, and the whole time, like Puddle Glum, this chapter is an unfortunate chapter for Puddle Glum, not because he does anything wrong, but because the kids just do not listen to him at all. Man, he's a. Uh... This is like he's gone full babysitter. Like he's just trying to keep up with them and keep them from dying. <laughs> he's not in charge here. Well, like, because he brings up the fact of like, hey, what were those signs again? Like, hey, Jill, do you remember those signs? Which, like, is the internal conflict of this chapter and this chunk of the story is like, Jill is forgetting to do. The one thing she was oh, to do, she did not write. It's always more that complicated than it is on paper. But yeah, it's uh, like it is interesting because we've said this since we first met Puddleglum. Like, actually, the smartest person here, actually, the best character we've got in this. Absolutely, so <laughs> it's uh, he's he's kind of typecast. I mean. Puddleglum is in the mud. He is. He is right. always. Squidward is always right. Just when you're a kid watching the show, you're like, "Oh, Squidward, stop being such a bummer." And then adults yeah. watch, you're like, "This is my life." And, <laughs> it's, uh, and it's fine. It's perfectly all right. We don't. It's perfectly all right. But like, um, he's, he's asking because the sign itself, like as as I read earlier, it says, "You shall find writing on a stone in the ruined city and do what it tells you." He is, they are in the ruined city in the letters that they are supposed to be reading yeah. and that are carved into the stone. If they, like, if he, if they listen to him and pause here, they avoid way, like, more danger. Like, they put themselves at huge risk after this if they just did what they tell him. But as you said, Jill has forgotten the signs uh, and she gets it. This is a very relatable moment. Where and I know that you had you, you wanted to talk about this a little bit with the losing your way, but yes. it is someone who gets frustrated at other people when in reality they're frustrated with themselves because they know they're wrong, but they don't want to admit they're wrong, so they take it out on someone else because she, you know, she goes, I don't know, something about someone mentioning Aslan's name, which is the fourth sign, yeah. uh, and it's to the end, and like that is <laughs> like the last thing that happens. And Puddleglum gets a little sassy with her, and he's like, "Oh, that was next, was it? Like, 
Now I wonder if you got them right. Got them mixed, I shouldn't wonder. Seems to me this hill, this flat place we're on is worth stopping to have a look at. Have you noticed? And then they're like, oh my God, shut up, Puddle Glen. Like, it's like, bro, nobody cares about Aslan anymore. We're on a new thing. Blah, blah, blah. I want to go to the giant house and get eaten. I mean, have food to eat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But with this, like, the whole, like, losing sight of the mission thing is a really common thing in stories. Like, Jill and Eustace, as a follower more than a leader in this situation, is doing exactly what every every person or at least side character but i mean she's more the main character in this story but uh like a really common thing in these kinds of adventure stories is the person like losing sight of the thing they're supposed to be about and doing something that seems more fun so like i was thinking about like boromir in lord of the rings try and steal the ring because like for one thing, the fellowship is uh is having a rough rough go of it, and they're fighting orcs and stuff, and it's a bad time. And he's like, "Hey, what if you gave me that, and then Gondor can just uh, take care of the rest?" Or I also thought about like Ron Weasley in Order of the Phoenix when he decides like popularity is more fun and more important than friendship, and then also yeah. thought of like Han Solo when he like Ron him. Weasley in almost every book where oh, there's yeah. a moment where he goes, man, I wish I was more like Harry. And then he's not. So he gets puffy. Ron is kind of the best though. <laughs> like he's a genuinely good friend when you read it in the book form rather than like watch the movies. Like he is too loyal, more loyal than Harry deserves. And uh, yeah, Ron's great, but he has some rough, rough moments. He's also really? the most well-written teenage boy that I've seen in. That's in fair. Books. But, but uh, yeah. But I also thought about like Han Solo when he briefly leaves taking his money before coming back and helping them destroy the Death Star. Like all, all these situations where like someone like gets like their eyes on the easy, flashy, fun thing right. rather than like pursuing the mission that they had in front of them that everyone is on board with. And it happens a ton. It is supposed to be for character development. It's supposed to be like a, Hey, this is a chance for someone to grow. Right. And now we're getting that as a, but what if we went and hung out with giants instead? Because they have fire. This is the comfortable option, right? And the, the, this is them pursuing comfort over the mission, which is understandable. They've been hiking through the snow. Is this snow, you know, kind of supernaturally caused? Because, you know, that's a different story. That I think it's a question worth asking. Like, would they have experienced these hardships if they had just continued on their way and not talked to the green snake lady? I mean, could they have gone without talking to the green snake lady? She was kind of blocking the bridge. I mean, I think they could have ignored her or avoided her or not told her their plans. I mean, that's that's definitely a better option. I think Marshwiggle could have fought her. That uh, also would have been fun. I don't know if he would have won, but I you know, I stand by Puddle Glum. They they could have at least like tried to knock the the Black Knight off his horse and just kidnap him and take him home with them. That yeah. would have solved their problems. Yeah. Um, but you know, they 
the the losing their way comes in the you know form of Puddleglum trying several times to go, hey, we should pay attention to this. We should pay attention to this. And then the kids going, like, screw that. I don't want to hear it. And wouldn't you know it, this is the point in time where they see lights on the hill. They see the like they see the the house. They see the rooms. Uh, and they're like, oh my gosh, it's Harfang. And they make their way up there. We have in a moment to lose. Like they they're like, man, remember what the lady said we have to get there before dark. And Puddleglum's like, yo, it's not even nighttime yet. Like, what are we, what are we talking about? Yeah. Like it's funny because like they see the lights, but then it makes a point to say, but they still had a really long way to walk. So they go out of their way to ignore Puddleglum for a really long time. Yeah. And so they like zip over. And again, we get another little bit of walking where it's just them uh, like trying to cross this massive space, which again, it makes sense that Harfang wouldn't be near the ruined city. Like it is a different place separate from it. Uh, But they cross over, they, you know, make their way through the ruined city. They, uh, that they don't know is a ruined city. uh, And they finally make their way up uh, to the like giant door, like the gateway. Uh, And it's funny because, Puddle Glum, though he has been the most resistant to all this, is the one that is like, well, we're we're here. We might as well like move forward with courage. Like, even though he's the cynic, he's also for sure the like the brave one in the group. Yeah. He like he's not I, I feel like he's been had his moments of like extreme, like just dumb like oh well you probably broke your legs huh like like very just jumped to the worst possible Mm -hmm. situation but like for the most part he's just been truly realistic the whole time (laughs) like he's he's been writing the line of like well we have to take this as it is and this is a situation where like he fully sees like you know what it was a bad idea to come here and I let you know my opinion about that on the way, but uh, but we're here. It's not to listen to me. We're here, so we have to accept the consequences of what what we've chosen. And yep. here's what that looks like. We're going to have to keep keep a straight face here. And I mean, I don't know that that actually helps <laughs> helps them in the long run. I mean. You at least got to admire his courage because, you know, after yeah. being like, this is the silliest thing in the world by coming here, uh, we're, you know, we just got to stride forward. He like strides up to the gateway, goes up to the archway and is like, ho, porter, guests who seek lodging. And Jillid Eustace's response here gives me a lot of like Kingsley Shacklebolt in Order of the Phoenix vibes because they go, you know, he may be a wet blanket, but he has plenty of pluck and cheek, which like, very much so. Like one of my favorite lines in all of Harry Potter is Kingsley, Sha- Kingsley Shacklebolt. Whenever Dumbledore like is like, "No, I'm definitely not letting you take me to Azkaban." Like I am not going quietly and like destroys everyone in his office and just like disappears. Uh, and Kingsley Shacklebolt turns to uh, you know Minister Fudge and is like, "Whatever you think about Dumbledore, you got to admit he's got style." And it's like yes. big fan. Big fan, but the doors open and a huge uh, like it. 
this was, it's a funny way of describing it. They were like, he was not a perfectly enormous giant. That is to say, he was rather taller than an apple tree, but nothing like so tall as a telegraph pole. So it's like, okay, like still a giant. Still. So we talking like 20 feet? Maybe, yeah. 15 to 20, somewhere in that range. Bigger than Hagrid, not as big as a Balrog, maybe. Yeah. So, oh gosh, what's uh, what's Hagrid's half brother's name? Grop. Yeah, he's about Grop sized. I'm picturing Grop. You know, runt of, runt of the litter, but still a giant. You know, uh, but he looks at them and he's very confused because he obviously recognizes humans, but he's like, what? What are you? What sort of creature do you call yourself? And this is the beginning of, you know, uh, the just a lot of like not a not a lot of tact here, but also a very funny like moment for Mar- for Puddle Glum, where so Jill goes, please, the lady of the green kirtle salutes the king of the gentle giants and has sent us two southern children and this marsh wiggle to your autumn feast, if it's quite convenient, of course. And he's like, Oh, of course, that's a that's a, quite a different story. Come on, little people. Uh, like, you know, come on in. And like, it's his lines. You know, it's 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 like we said a few chapters ago with the the Green Lady, where it's like if you look at like the things they say, yeah, that is the that's the tell, right? Where he's like, uh, you know, blue faces. I didn't I didn't know they were that color. Don't care about it myself, but. I dare say you look quite nice to one another. You know, beetles fancy other beetles, they do say. Where it's like, how is he viewing them? He's viewing them as little tiny creatures. He's he's like, hey, whatever, you know, whatever floats your boat, I don't really care what color you are unless I eat you. Do what? Never a good situation when you're referring to uh people as as bugs. That's uh it's a bad sign. He goes, Hey, they're they're like, hey, we're just cold, that's why we're blue. And he goes, Oh. Come in and get warm. Come in, little shrimps. Like, you know what you do with shrimps, Chase? You eat them. Uh, true. It's, uh, I mean, what he says could be taken as like a, like, well, you guys are pretty ugly to me, but I'm sure, I'm sure you look perfectly normal to each other. Because, I mean, even when they were walking through the, uh, walking around the, whatever channel that all the giants were lined up and on either side of like they were at least observing how ugly and weird they were. Like he does have, I think part of that is a CS Lewis ism of uh, like, Oh, a lot of judgmental how giants look perfectly normal to one another. Just like we do. Is this um, like a Drax and, uh, Oh man, what's the the antenna lady uh, in Guardians of the Galaxy? I wish I could tell you. Oh bummer! I just I love the line right. where he's like, just he just constantly is telling her how ugly she is. And in real life, that lady I believe is like a model, <laughs> and like uh, she's like, I'm I'm ugly, and he's like, Oh God, you're hideous. But it doesn't matter because you know, like beautiful people have it have it. Uh, they have big issues because they don't know who they can trust. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so stupid, but I love it. But uh, think of they, another SpongeBob. 
quote, I'm, I'm ugly evil. and I'm proud. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> but they, this, uh, this begins a runner now because they, they go inside, they start warming up, and Paul Glum is clearly not happy. I mean, he's, he's a guy who doesn't hide his emotions very well. And the porter is like, now Froggy, which is not a great, you know, it's not a lot of respect there. That feels like, like a slur. That feels like a slur. Uh, but he's like, you look as if you need some cheering up. And he produces a giant bottle of liquor. Uh, that he's like, you know, I can't give you a full cup of this or you'll drown. So, you know, let me see what I can do. And Puddle Glum is basically just like, like they, they finally offer him like a tiny little, you know, thing of, of, of liquor, which is a bold move for them to accept it. Because again, Puddle Glum has been the one who is like very hesitant this whole time. Yeah. And, and he it says, says like, as he drinks it, like, this is probably poison. If I die, Y'all know not to take anything else from that. Which, I mean, I guess, again, I appreciate the bravery here where he's like, listen, if we don't do this, we don't want to offend them more or less. So I'm going to do it and make sure that y'all don't die. But, like, he just pounds this cup. And it it says liquor, which we were talking earlier. I don't know. Like, this might be the first time that the word, like, it's obviously been implied that they've had, like, ale, they are like they've clearly said ale, wine, you know, things like that. Yeah. I think this might be the first hard liquor that we are seeing. Yeah, I think you're right. It's I wonder just in the actual way that alcohol and strength works, would this be right for it to be super duper strong if you're if you're brewing something it's supposed to be alcohol to giants that I assume have giant metabolisms. I'm thinking like She-Hulk here. Sure. Like, would a essentially like dropper size to them be equivalent strength to a full drink to them, or what? Like, well, I'd imagine if, if they're drinking that much, the actual strength of each individual drop of it would be less. But I, could, I think the uh, the consistency is always the same in terms of like, like every drop of alcohol is going to have the same potency per drop, you know, of a full cup of like, so, I mean, if you had a cup of wine, a drop of that wine is going to have the same alcohol content than the cup would. It's just in a smaller portion. And because you're now giving that smaller portion to a smaller person, the like alcohol content is still probably through the roof. I guess they're just drinking on a large enough scale where it measures up the same. And they also are massive, so it doesn't bother them. Uh, and they're giants, so who know, who even knows what their metabolism looks like, right? But I mean, they uh, probably like They Puddleglum more or less is just like, let's do this. Slams the cup on the table, drinks it, uh, yells "Das Boot," uh, and and is ready for more. But it immediately starts to hit because he like within seconds they are like carrying him away and uh the the giant is like kind of impressed he's like why froggy you're a man see him put him away and he goes not a man marsh wiggle not frog either marsh wiggle um and they start carrying him away and this begins one of my like one of my favorite little scenes because he is super hammered everything puddle gloves like I 
I appreciate that C.S. Lewis doesn't just say, and Puddlegum got pretty drunk. He they're showing it just lets us watch it happen. <laughs> yep. It's really funny. So they like they carry him in, uh, and like Puddleglum is just kind of like talking incoherently to himself, and he's like Marshwiggle, Marshwiggle, very respectable Marshwiggle, respect a wiggle, and like they just keep going, and the porter's like, all right, you know, bring him in here. He's probably out of a drop more than he could take, and what's good for him? And he's like, nothing's wrong with me. Not a frog. Nothing frog with me. I'm a respectable. <laughs> and I not a frog. Nothing frog with me. <laughs> it's so funny, but uh, like they they just you know carry him in like a very undignified way across the room into the throne room, mind you, and they see. Uh, two huge shapes that are most likely the king and queen sitting on their thrones. Uh, and they like the two kids try to bow uh, and the, you know, giant just basically throws Puddleglum on the floor because he can't hold himself up. So he just like collapses into some sort of a sitting position. Yeah. And then the chapter ends, Chase. Yeah. Which I do feel like we should address the, in the last paragraph of this yeah. chapter, because it's been a while, if you remember at the beginning of this book, C.S. Lewis spent a lot of time dunking on any kind of private educate or like, I guess not private, any kind of like liberal education where girls and boys are allowed to learn in the same building, for example. And he makes a point to say, Scrub and Jill made an awkward attempt at a bow. Girls are not taught how to curtsy at Experiment House. Hmm. Because... Okay. Just in case you thought C.S. Lewis wasn't an old crotchety And man. another thing. Let me tell you another thing I hate about this newfangled education form. I'm, I'm fully convinced that they're going to run the snake lady, and he's going to be like, you know where she didn't go to? Proper education schools. She probably went to one of them. If they had now. been to Experiment House, then she would probably be exactly as evil as she is now. And Jill realized that in that day, if she stayed on her current path at Experiment House, she too would be a snake lady. So when she gets back, Jill just uh, drops out of Experiment House and goes to learn how to be a wife and mother, right? Yeah. You know, uh, (laughs) this is a real dangerous path. Make sure, listeners, we are joking. We're joking and making fun of the absurdity that anyone would think that we're like women and men couldn't learn in the same room. Uh, how how dare they? We think that is an incorrect opinion to hold. Yeah. You uh, know. It's a move. It's a move, man. A way to end uh, this chapter. All that to say, like any, any ladies, like, you know, listen to this. This is the pro like, this is what happens when you decide to go and get yourself educated. You become a witch. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a good path. If I've learned anything from, uh, from my annual rewatch of Hocus Pocus, it's that uh, oh the witches are more fun. Witches are more fun, you know, still demonic and evil. Maybe like don't be witches though. Just be a regular educated woman. Look, if you see a candle that has a big sign next to it that says, do not light the black flame. Well, don't light until you're married. Well, that, yeah. Don't don't light the black flame if you are if you're one of our podcast listeners. <laughs> oh dear. But uh we've decided because 
roughly zero things happened in this chapter. Uh, we're we are going to reserve our further up and further ends for the next chapter so that we can kind of combine because we didn't get enough of the ruined city and we didn't get enough of the giants. And in the coming chapters, we will get both. So we will be uh, moving our, our conversation into that. Uh, but Chase, in the meantime, uh, in addition to dunking on experiment houses and progressive education, would you mind being able to tell our, our listeners where they can find more about our podcast? Yeah, If you want to bow down or curtsy to us or just have a, have a nice heavy drink with us, uh, probably not that, to be honest. Don't, don't invite us to get drinks on Instagram, but you can follow us there. Uh, at Chronicles of Podcast, you can find this podcast wherever you get podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Audible, all the places. Uh, and while you're there, we would love if you would leave a five-star rating, a review, uh, maybe share it with a friend. If they love C.S. Lewis and the Narnia books as much as we complain about them, we do enjoy them. And uh, yeah, you can join us again next week as we get into chapter eight of this book and talk about the House of Harfang. The House of Harfang, coming to HBO soon. We tr- I tried to schedule this around when Judah was napping, so he's down right now. There's a good chance that he wakes up in the middle of this, uh, and if he does, we may have to like put a pause on this and uh, or like finish it with Special him. Special podcast guest. Um... Special podcast guest. I'll just hold him, and uh, you know, <laughs> we can make it work. But, you know, nothing happens in this chapter anyway, so. Yeah, it's a pretty uh, pretty lame chapter. Like, Walk through some snow. 